A few weeks ago, we reflected together on, on whose voices we, we listened to. If you were here that first week of Lent. And I, I asked you to consider for yourself, whose voices do you listen to? Whose voices are represented in the perspectives you consider about politics, the news you watch, the people you interact with, people who inform your understanding of what's going on in the world, and whose are absent? Whose voices are out there in our community, our wider community, but go unheard, unnoticed in your day-to-day? Whose voices are you not listening to? Part of the challenge for each of us, for all of us, for us specifically as a church as well, is that there are always limits to whose voices, the number of voices that we, we listen to. And we tend to start with those who are most like us, whoever us is, right? Sounds and stories, experiences most reflect our own. We feel most seen and heard by them. And then, and then we might supplement those with one or two voices, that one friend that one person or perspective that falls outside of that, right? And it's understandable from a, a human and perhaps evolutionary perspective, right? Looking, look, looking out which is familiar brings with it risks. And yet it is precisely into this tension, stepping outside of that which is familiar, which is comfortable, that the spiritual journey calls us, namely the journey of following Jesus and being transformed from the inside out by the power of God. And so this morning as we begin, I want, I want you to out someone whose voice or perspective you find yourself being inherently suspect of. Maybe it's a person or a group of people. When they offer a word that differs from your own, your action is to dismiss it or deny it or critique or minimize. We all have those people. Who, who are yours? With that in mind, with an open heart, I want to invite you to hear this encounter between Jesus and a woman from Samaria anew. So Jesus and his disciples are on the move in the south up to Galilee in the north. But in between these two regions lies a place called Samaria. Now it's true that Jesus has to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. But as anyone who has ever driven through that part of town or, or a place populated with people who are not like us knows, our instinct is usually to spend as little time there as possible. Right? Don't talk to anybody. Don't make con eye contact. Be on the lookout make sure you're safe. Our guards are up, right? We see others as potential threats rather than conversation partners. Our hearts tend to beat faster. We're scared. Again, from an evolutionary perspective, this makes sense, right? This place is unfamiliar, and that puts us on guard, understandably. Samaria is that place for Jesus and the disciples. There's a long and hostile history between Jews and Samaritans. Scholars debate aspects of that hostility's origins, but not the intensity of it. Perhaps part of the conflict is that there was enough shared history 
religiously and culturally, that they saw each other as a sort of bastardization, the other side as uh, deficient, as maybe stealing our tradition and then ruining it. Right? Think of the long history of the division between North and South in this country itself, but especially around the Civil War and in the decades that followed. Or today, in a different way, the divide between urban and rural, right? The ways that we talk about over there. We all have, there's, there's so many uh, examples that I can give. Think of yours. For his part, Jesus finds himself at a, a well-known way station on that long stretch of road from south to north. From time immemorial, it's been known as Jacob's Well, the Jacob of Genesis lore, the grandson of Abraham, the, the great patriarch who wrestled with God and was renamed Israel, this well is where legend has it he met his beloved wife, Rachel. In fact, meeting your wife at a well was such a common storytelling trope in the ancient Israelite world that, that those who first heard the story would hear this setting and they would in, immediately anticipate a marriage proposal of some sort, a betrothal like Jacob's that was about to happen. Three quarters of the way to their, to their destination, Jesus and his disciples to rest as the scorching noonday sun reaches its peak. Now perhaps, again, as the text says, the disciples have gone to look for food while Jesus draws up water. But as they leave, a Samaritan woman approaches the well herself to draw water. Given that it's the hottest part of the day, uh, not usually the time that you go to the well to draw water, they're both there alone. And perhaps that's exactly how each of them had intended it, for no one else to be around when they arrive. As she approaches, Jesus begins a conversation with her. And I, I have to admit that at first, to our modern sensibilities, his questions thinks of patriarchy, right? Get me a drink, woman. I mean, who starts a conversation that way anyway? Is Jesus flexing here? Is he asserting his, his status as a man in this uncertain encounter as a, a Jew over this unnamed woman? The woman comes back just as hot. How is it that you, a Jew, asks me, a woman of Samaria, a drink for a drink? You know better. Or to put it more colloquially, excuse me? Nah, uh-uh. But as their conversation continues, uh, it probably sounds quite strange to us. There's a lot of symbolism and references going on here that culturally we just we don't catch. We have to remember also that the Gospels are stories as much as they are describing historical figures or events. And as all storytellers know, there's the details of what happened... And then there's how you tell the story of those details. Sometimes you stretch the details a little bit. Sometimes you add a particular emphasis to the words said in or order to highlight a particular truth, right? And part of that truth, that emphasis in the Gospel of John, is going from a literal level of understanding to a symbolic level of understanding. Like Nicodemus, this unnamed woman of Samaria begins her conversation with Jesus on the literal level, which makes sense 
right? Because they're both at a well, it's hot, and Jesus just asks for a drink. But as they continue, it becomes clear to her that this conversation is about so much more. Whereas Nicodemus, an educated man, a leader within the community who has both power and authority, someone of the same cultural background as Jesus, whereas he is unable to understand the symbolic level, the, to respond to that deeper conversation into which Jesus invites him, as they discuss how to be born again, how to, be, how to start anew, this morning we have the story of an unnamed woman, a foreigner, an outsider from Samaria. Ugh. A woman of a different culture, ethnicity, and religion. She doesn't seek Jesus out, but encounters him as a stranger. Again, suspicious of her, as the hearers of the gospel, those first hearers, they would be suspicious of her. And yet, she is the one who leaves her encounter with Jesus so overcome with hope and joy that she leaves her water jar behind. She is the one who leaves with deeper understanding, not Nicodemus. Which for the gospel is itself symbolic her leaving that, not because she no longer needs literal water, of course, but that she has found living water. A deeper thirst for life, for hope, for the possibility of a new future has been quenched. At some point, if we are to journey toward greater wholeness, toward, toward a fuller humanity, each of us ask ourselves, what is it that I really want. Beyond a job, beyond that nice house, beyond this or that, where do I really want to go? That is, how do I live the life that I can look back at on my deathbed and honestly say, I chose the greater path. Heck, I made mistakes. I made so many mistakes. But I was courageous enough to love life as hard as I could to leave it all on the field. I was willing to do the hard but necessary things to grow, to persist, to heal, to forgive, to work for a world of greater equity and justice, to repair. See, whereas Nicodemus leaves alone, this unnamed Samaritan woman cannot but let her joy, her hopes, what she has just encountered, her hopes for a future, for new life, she cannot but let it spill out of her onto everyone that she meets. Could this possibly be the one we've been waiting for, she asks her village? Could he be the one opening to us a future of hope, of restoration? All of this from an encounter that started in suspicion. For that to happen, Jesus and this woman had to meet in shared vulnerability. I think Jesus knew this, and I think that's why he asks her for a drink. That their encounter begins not with asserting his masculinity, his authority, but that quite the opposite. It is Jesus 
acknowledging that he is in need. Would you help me? I, a Jewish man who is not from here, who is weary from my long journey, I need help from you, a woman of Samaria, who my religion and culture taught me was beneath me. Jesus initiates rather than avoids, like, you know, sometimes at the grocery store when you're like, okay, I don't, oh, there's that put out so I can avoid them. Jesus initiates the encounter rather than avoiding it. He makes himself vulnerable. He opens himself to rejection. She has the power there to choose to engage or not. It would have been easy for either person to turn hostile, to assume the worst intentions, right? Perhaps, perhaps each was initially looking for a sign that it just wasn't worth it and they should just walk away. Perhaps. Now, too often, I think we hear these stories and we imagine ourselves as saviors, as those who are called to, to help other people. But more difficult, I think, is for us to, to sit down, to honor our weariness, and let another person help us. You see, if we only or primarily find ourselves in the role of helping others and never in the role of receiving help from others, that is, if we never make ourselves vulnerable, dependent on other people showing up for us, and yes, maybe disappointing us, then we are cutting ourselves off from a part of what it means to be human, to be fully alive. We are not, in fact, following Jesus, who took on human flesh and showed us in moments like this the way to divinity. Is this the invitation that you need in life right now? Or perhaps this Samaritan woman is your teacher. She may not be named, but whereas Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus only lasts a few verses, hers is the longest dialogue recorded in all of the gospel. Even more, she engages Jesus as a mutual partner. She questions him, she challenges him, Nicodemus shares a culture and a religion with Jesus, and yet he does not understand the invitation that Jesus places before him. Things possibly be, he asks as he leaves back into the night. This is a cross-cultural interfaith conversation, and it ends with her seeing and understanding Jesus after an hour of conversation that Jesus' disciples, his closest friends and students who have literally been traveling with him do not understand. In fact, she is the first person in the gospel to whom Jesus reveals himself, reveals his true identity. It is, it is with her that he allows himself to be vulnerable in it. And when she meets him in that shared vulnerability, he opens up about a part of himself that others just don't seem to understand. 
later at the transfiguration when he, when he finally shares with the disciples his true identity when he comes out, they still don't get it. Even when a voice from heaven says, listen to him. When others begin to ask if maybe he is indeed the Messiah, they get the title right, but they still don't get it. He refuses their reference, their title, the same one that she claims for him because, because he rejects what it means to them. They want a national leader, a war hero. She sees him as one who all things to us. I think this unnamed sister outsider teaches us that being in the pew isn't the point. That isn't the goal itself. That it's okay to question and challenge the version of Jesus or of God that we've been handed. I think this passage tells us that there are a lot of folks who are not Christian, who may not be religious at see Jesus better than those of us who do sit here and listen to the stories of him week after week. And perhaps we need to listen to them. Perhaps she is the teacher you need in your life right now. For she is able to see the face of God in the stranger, in one who initially evoked hostility and suspicion. She is able to, re to, to receive his salvation with openness. And it is precisely here we are invited to see a marriage bond taking place. This is what the story was setting up. Yes, with that woman from Samaria. Between Jesus, who the gospel continually refers to as the bridegroom, and those who seek to marry truth. Who seek to be bound to love and to a deeper, truer life. Perhaps in the land of the seeking, this, this will which you are wandering, you too are being invited into this wild and wondrous proposal. To be surprised by the ones who bear the face of God. Perhaps the one through whom God seeks to offer you life, hope, seeks to offer you healing, through whom God will review a future with hope, perhaps it is not the one you are expecting to do so. Or maybe it's not the message you were expecting to receive, but that your soul knew, knows, needs to receive. Maybe while you are looking for literal, concrete answers to quench your literal thirst, your your very real concerns about your health, or your job, or, 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 perhaps in the midst of your seeking, God is seeking to reveal a deeper truth to you. Perhaps God is seeking to invite you into a new way of being, into a new rhythm of life, into a new community of hope. Perhaps as you rise to face a new day, 
as you look for water to quench your very real thirst. Do not lose sight of the deeper life to which God is calling you. A life that doesn't paper over grief or hardship, but somehow is found precisely there. Friends, may it be so. For your healing, for the healing of all the world.